0: Yeah. What an interesting song, Rowan. More, more like you. Take everything. Take everything. Strip me of everything. Remove everything. Whatever is in me that stands in the way of your glory, remove it. This is a confession and a declaration. It is a heart's desire. This is what I want. I am not forced nor compelled by anything, but I declare that take it all. Take it all. It's so interesting how when we come to salvation, this becomes the words that paves the way into this new life. These words come out, out of a heart of worship, before hardship has knocked in our doors. And we confess these things, but sometimes when you need to live them out, we struggle with living them out. And we struggle with a continuous confession of them, because hardship comes in. But the truth is... If it is your heart and it's my heart, it's my decision, no one has forced me, this is my declaration, I need to say it to myself up until I believe it. Amen? I need to say it until I believe it. I need to say it until I live it. Because it's easy to say, take all. I give you all. When he says, okay, you've given it, now I want to use a portion of your money now you say, Lord, remember you said 10%. <laughs> now when he says, I gave you all, he says, can I use your, your bucky? Ah, Lord, you know the fuel is so expensive, so <laughs> rather give it to someone who can afford it, but we've said it all. Amen? So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, when I come before you this morning, just to exalt and glorify your name, thank you, King of Kings, that you are a loving God and a and an awesome Father to us. Thank you that you have known us before the foundations of this world and that you've called us forth for nothing else but just your glory so that we can, we can have the privilege to partake in this, in this act of worship where we join in with the angels and glorify and magnify and testify that you are good and you are a just God and that you are worthy of it all and that our hearts and our souls and our bodies and our minds agree on this so sithi go se samanda ngosi yamakhosi ngumkhani wezulinomhlabathi <laughs> kuthi khona namhlanje banathi ngosi yam siyicenga siya kunqula ngosi sithi ungqonqoshe ngosi yamakhosi nguwe kuphela ngoba uJehova agekho fana because there's no one who can ever compare to you king of kings no one who can ever contest and come against you and win righteous ruler of this world no one who dares to profess and call you a liar can, can test what they say because everything you've said since the beginning until now has been true and true indeed. And therefore we say we worship you. We glorify you. Come and take your place in our hearts. Take your place as the ruler and the king of kings in our lives. And we surrender everything to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Ah, thank you. Me and the tape, we have, we have issues. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Thank you so much. So, morning, beloved, and I, I, I do hope that for the visitor's sake that you will get to know me later on, but uh, you are visitors, so that's good. For the family that knows me, praise God that you are here. Visitors, I hope that you will not let my sermon not make you come back. Please excuse me. I am the the senior pastor of the church, so you excuse what I say and come back next time. But I want the church members, they can go. They can go, those are members. I'm not worried about them. It's for the visitors that I need to be sensitive. And so I hope that you understand. My title says Christianity versus Culture. The tension between these two worlds is what we experience every day as we walk and follow Christ in our lives. There's a tension between them. It's so interesting how we ignore the existence of this tension to a point where we make as if it doesn't happen that way. We live in a time where Christians are so conscious of sin or what the Bible calls calls sin, but they are not conscious of how they live. So we live not to sin but there are things we do that, that, that Christ would not call it as a character of himself. And those things come from our culture. Amen? No, don't worry, don't worry. I, I will try my best to explain it. I did say to the Lord, it is not one of those messages. You know, one of the most difficult things as an aspiring or as a preacher is to try to be a great preacher. And when you try to be, which means you have to say things that make the audience love you. Amen. And you must make sure that the church agrees. Amen? <laughs> that the hallelujahs, they come spontaneously. You don't have to force them to say it. Amen? <laughs> that the looks in your face, is, is they, there's a beaming smile. They look at you and say, yes, I agree. Amen? That's what we usually want. But that's not what the Lord commands us to do. Yeah. And therefore, if, you are, if I'm going to do it for you and not for the Lord, then, then, then I've already missed it. It is for him who has sent me. Not me. And so I had to tell myself, Lord, help me with this message. And so to bring into context, I had an opportunity to talk to Wayne and Carol schools next door in this week. I was trying to explain to them the closer culture. And we had a great time of conversation until Wayne posed a question. And that question, it really helped to clarify something in me. So he was asking, what is then our job? Are we here to join their culture, or are they, here, are they here to learn our culture? Now, we were talking about the Tosa culture and the school. Obviously, the school is not Tosa because it's in town, right? Okay, maybe you didn't know. That's, that, that's the truth. <laughs> So which means the people in the school, the staff and everybody else, they are not Xhosa. So that's why they needed me to try and explain to them what the TOSA culture is about. And so in the midst of it all, it came out as was well explaining. And so Wayne says, but wait a minute. So are we learning about them so that we can be like them? Or are they not supposed to be like us? Then I was asking, so it's true. So whose culture is it? See, I, I got to the question of saying, it is a very interesting question. So whose culture is it that is more important than the other? Whose culture should it be? And therefore, if culture is the question, what is our culture? What is our culture that we want people to turn away from their culture to join our culture? So what do we say as the church? What, what do you say to someone who got saved and say, listen, that is your culture, but this is our culture? What, how do we define then our culture? Because we need to say, if someone has to leave something for the other, the one that they are living, they've already defined it and lived according to it. Now they're coming to something that's undefined, they haven't lived it. So how do we define this culture? I was like, oh, that's good. That's really good because whose culture is it? Is it mine? Or is it Jesus? Jesus. When I welcome people into my world, do they learn about my closer culture? Oh my Jesus God! Which one is it? When they walk next to me and they interact with me day in, day out, can they stand and say, hey, Sean, you are a true Tosa man. Is that, is that the motive of my life? That I walk in such a way that they can, they can not be able to, it's undeniable the fact that I am Tosa because that is my identity? Or, shh, isn't, it a, isn't it, am I walking on purpose so that when people look at my first step and look at me, they can truly say, "Yo." Sean, you are truly a man of God. I see Jesus in you. And this is not me saying, it is how I live. And so when I live, whose culture do I want people then to know? Whose culture am I introducing them into? And it was brilliant because as I was explaining to them the Corsa culture, the Holy Spirit was talking to me and saying to me, look at how far I've brought you out from it. Because as I was explaining to them, to the school about the Xhosa culture, I was standing there and I was talking. I could talk about it as something that is there and I am here. And it was brilliant. It was a moment of clarity for me because as I was talking about it, I could see and I could testify that if my wife was sitting there, she would say, definitely, my husband, you do not do what you just said to them. Because intentionally, I am a child of God. I said, Take all. All of me I give to you. And therefore, that meant all. And so it was a wonderful experience. But then I was saying, Are we intentional about it? Because we are so aware of what sin is, we are so aware of how not to sin. But how do we live? In, in our living, does it, does it testify that you are the children of God? Could you go to the next slide for me, please? So, for your safety and your sake, I wanted to define it just in case. And I said to my wife, it's one of those difficult messages to preach because I don't want you to be thinking I'm talking about the closer traditions. I'm talking about culture. And so I needed to find a definition of it, and that is the definition of culture. Not mine. That's the definition I found on Google. That's culture. It says, it says, as such, it, it includes codes of manners, dress, language, religion, and rituals. That's culture. Defi- culture can be defined as all the ways of life. All the ways of life. It includes, ne? codes of manners, dress, language. I didn't know that even your dress code comes from the culture you grew up in. Maybe you knew that. I, I didn't know. But obviously, culture is about how we live. Now, I wanted to do this this morning. Freddie, could you, could you, could you, could you join me for a minute? I'm going to give you the mic. Can you give it to him, please? I want to ask you a question. Most of the church, they don't do... Some of the new people haven't done Victory Weekend. <laughs> yeah? Because they haven't done Victory Weekend, not all of them know your testimony. I'm not going to ask you to share it. I want you to answer this for me. In the prison system, there's a gang system, right? You talk about it. The prisoners, to me, they all have one dress code, right? That's the whole point. I don't like the color because I don't want to look like everybody else. (laughs) But within the prison system, even though everyone is dressed the same, not everyone behaves the same. How do we distinguish between these gang members? What do they do that sets them apart from one another? Uh, well, it, depends on, it depends on what number you carry. Okay. Tell us a number. 28, do it, what do they do? Okay, 28s are more for um, they're the guys that work in the, they, they work in the prison, they work in the kitchens. Okay. They, they cook the food, and they also make um, men women. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 27s are there to... Um, they more for the... Um, the discipline. Okay. Between, they stand in the middle between the 26s and the 28s. Mm-hmm. The 26s are the guys that are there for money. Mm. Um, the 27s is also, be, besides the, the discipline, they are also there. They, outside, um, outside of prison, they are the guys that won't just rob you, they will kill you for your money. Mm. They're the murderers as well. Awesome. Awesome. Can you, can you hear how he could define them? that it was not their dress code now, but their mannerism. The distinction between each, each gang number was what they do. So you know, he would know based on what they do, how they look like, and what they say, where they fit into the gang system in prison. and And that's interesting because... They all look the same to us from the outside. They all wear the same thing from us from the outside. But from within prison, there's a way where, of which even the dress code will tell you this now is the one that has been in that gang. Isn't that so? Yeah, also the way they, they, um, the signs they make with their fingers. So That's they have sign language difference. as well. Yeah. And they probably have tattoos also yes. to distinguish from one another. Yeah, as, a, as, as the tattoos and also where the tattoos is located on the body. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm hoping you are getting where I'm trying to get. If you are confused, don't worry. We'll get there together. I am also trying to understand what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying it's simple. If that system works in the prison setup, that people are identified by not what they wear, but how they behave, shouldn't that be the same for us? Isn't that how we should be seen by the world? That they should be able to distinguish between us who is really who in Christ based on how we behave, what we do, how we use our sign languages, how we speak and our mannerism because that is culture. If we are in the kingdom culture, that means it's not about what we profess, it's about how we live it. And all of us are stuck in what we say, but the living doesn't tell the same story as what we say. But in the prison system, it doesn't matter. They all look the same. The warden can see one color, but to them, that color is distinguished by certain things. And that is the culture I'm talking about. And the problem with culture is that you are from a culture. Inside here, there's an Africana and an English culture. To me, you're all white. (laughs) That is true. But to you, you are white and different. Isn't that so? You know the difference. I don't know. You would know it. Because you, are, you, you have come from a home where you were different from the other. There's even subcultures within the Africana culture that you subscribe to, that you live by. The, some of the culture in the Africana culture, I can presume, some of them were farmers. So there's a farming culture. You would know it by how they dress. Maybe there's the one who wears shorts. They are the, they are the farmers. And, and T-shirts and vests, they walk like David. He's always friendly. He's always not too cold. So that's a farmer. So in the, if you're an Africana, you know David. You could look at him and say, no, that's a farming guy. That's those guys that farms. And then David will look at you, another Africana, and see how you are dressed and say, these are the academic guys. You have something in your culture that identifies who you are. Isn't that so? It's the same with the English. The English culture probably is saying, oh, this is a descendant from the Queen Elizabeth. You can see how snobbish, how they pick up things, how they do things. Within the English, there's a subculture of how they do things. There are those who are more focused on the proficiency of the language, how it's spoken, how it's said, how it's done, how you sit, how you do all of those things. It's their culture. And therefore, I come not from that culture. They already look me down because I don't do the way they expect me to do because their culture dictates who you must befriend. You can only befriend befriend those who are closer to your culture because it's a status thing. Isn't that so? The brands we wear, the clothing we wear, is a culture. Amongst you guys, you will know how much it is because it's your culture. (laughs) What shoes he's wearing, you will know it's your culture. You will know exactly what it is. In fact, you will know because you've seen those shoes. You've seen how much it is. You would say, oh, this guy, oh, that's one. The the cars you drive, everything we do, it tells a story about us. And sometimes the, the problem with this is that we have grown up in these homes and have lived in this culture that it's difficult for you to come out of it. Now, what do you do? You mix Christ with your culture. Then there's a mixology happening. All of a sudden, the only reason that makes you to struggle with me is because I was not taught well how to do proper eating and you're struggling to invite me to your house because you have these beautiful, sacred eating rules. And the sacredness of them is because your mom was harsh on it. Your mom taught you, hey, we do it like this for a reason. And now there I come from a culture that uses a spoon for everything. <laughs> your culture has different spoons for whatever. In my house, it, was, it doesn't matter what size it was. A spoon is a spoon. The difference is the big and the small spoon That's what we have. And now you, I come to you and you love me so much, but you can't eat with me. Because your culture, you don't talk when you eat. In mine, we are, yeah, you We were saying that yesterday. And I was saying that while I'm eating at the same time. We are talking. And then your culture, you struggle. You struggle. You love the Lord. You've laid your life down. But you can't dine with me because I, I don't eat like you were taught to eat. You find yourself struggling and praying in tongues. Lord, help him close his mouth. Jesus, help him not to speak. But you're asking me a question. Why would you ask me and not tell me I must wait until I finish chewing? I answer <laughs> while I'm eating because you asked a question. Now we, there's a clash a tension between me and you because all of a sudden I talk while I eat. And then I, 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 they call it, I smack when I eat. But even when I'm chewing, I don't chew the way you were taught, Bram. Because you were taught to chew silently. Because food was an art in your house. Food was a ministry in your house. Because you had to appreciate it and so forth. In my house, food was just something we get by and get, get going. And so now I chew the way I chew. You struggle with it. And then you find yourself saying, oh, I want to invite him again. But, ooh, ooh, how he eats, ooh. How he talks while he's eating. Isn't there a scripture in the Bible that I could forward to him and say this is what the Bible says? Isn't there a prayer, something I could... Do you hear what I'm saying? Are you getting the point? That there's so much of us in us. Willie says it beautifully. When I speak to him, William, he says, When there's so much of you in you, it, it becomes difficult for us to see Christ in you. Because you still dictate what needs to happen in your life and how you should do things. And yet you claim to have surrendered it all. That the smallest things that were not supposed to be an issue, they become an issue that divides us. Because why? Of the cultures we come from. Even in the conversations how we speak. Because your culture is Afrikaans. Mine is torsa. Now, we can't conversate because you refuse to disrespect your holy language of God, which is Afrikaans, and stoop down to a sub subculture language that is English because you were told to be a, brow- a proud Afrikaner. Therefore, you speak to me and say, <clears throat> you know, Sean, if you could just understand Afrikaans, I would speak more to you. But the problem is you, you don't understand me. And I am saying to you, I, I fully agree. Do you know how free I will be if I spoke to you in closing? Can you imagine the clicks I would make, the, the, the speed I would speak to you when I speak in Tosa? Because in Tosa is an expressional language. We speak in rhythm and dance. We say things and so we understand each other. It's like a movie happening. For you, I have to contain myself for you. I have to contain and say, yeah, no, it's very good. You say, I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I, I like the way this conversation is going. Praise God. No, it's very good. But meet me outside talking to another Tosa guy. The whole different guy whole different person. There is freedom of expression because it's it's closer to closer. I speak that that the way I speak, but that's, that's what happens to us. The funny thing the Lord says to me, we are not even aware of it. It's so natural. It's so automatic that we're not even aware of it, that there's still so much of us, in us, that we cannot live the kingdom values that the church is trying to preach about because we refuse to get out. And I can understand because culture means a group of people. It's the way your family does things. And therefore, it's difficult to break out because when you are with them, they will tell the difference. They will see that you are not doing things the same way. Some of them will even reprimand you and say, why are you eating this way now? And then they say, you know what I was going to say? You spend two times with these Africans. Look what you're becoming an African yourself. This is what they do. But the whole point of being a Christian is coming out of it all. The problem with us, we have an assumption that we must come out of the negative things of our cultures and keep the good things. But that's what Scripture requires. Scripture requires to come out of everything, whether it be good or bad. Everything so that Christ can be in us. Show us the next verse, please. Everything you need to come out of everything. One of my favorite scriptures in the, in the, in the Bible, Galatians 2.20, Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's not my words, it's the Bible. He says, it is no longer I who lives, right? But Christ lives in me. Do you understand the implications of that scripture? The danger it poses to your culture and how you live life, the truth of it, if you really allow it to to really be in you and you meditate on it, you'll understand that Paul is saying, I no longer live, which means it doesn't matter what culture I come from, I'm dead to it. I'm dead to that life, no matter what it was, no matter how great, how terrible, it doesn't matter because now I don't live. I have given my life to Christ and it is Him who lives in me. And so He says, I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who has loved me enough to die for. We come from now, Easter weekend, and this should be interesting for you because you have just, you have just relived this, this sacrifice of Jesus. You have just celebrated it last week, but you celebrate it in your culture. And yet, you can confess a scripture like that and say, as I do. Now, how do you know that it is no longer you who lives? By doing opposite of your culture. By allowing your culture not to dictate anymore how things are done. But Christ does. That's what it means as Scripture. It means I, I, I am up by identity, but I don't live as a tosser man. Because I live in Christ and Christ lives in me. I have given my tosser rights away when I said, I accept you, Jesus. I have given my cultural rights away when I said, live, come live in me, Christ. I have surrendered my cultural authority when I've said only you, more of you and less of me. And therefore there must be evidence, fruit of that by how I live and how I serve my family and how I fellowship with those that I'm surrounded with. And you have to do the same because you also come from a culture. You have to do the same and let go. Isn't that interesting? He says, everything, Christ lives in me. In you, in your case, Christ lives in you, but not in your things. Amen? Let's be honest about it. Christ lives in you and not in your things. Your things are still yours. Your money, your car, your business, your Everything. But you are you are, you are a Christian, not those things. Amen? So he lives in you, but he has not, well, how do I say, he has, you have not given him full access to everything else about you. And therefore, when we see the fruits in your life, they can tell us it's a different story. This is not sin. Nothing I've said is about sin. It's about how we need to live in the kingdom of God. Jesus talks about it. Next, next verse, please, as I conclude. This was exactly the same thing Nicodemus needed to understand. You see, (laughs) I love Jesus' response, but let's get to him first. Irrespective of his role, what he was doing, Nicodemus, he could hear Christ. He saw the miracles. He understood that Jesus was doing something supernatural that a human being cannot do. He knew that God must have sent Jesus. He knew it. And it's interesting that he comes to him at night because of his status, right? Because of how people know him. So you could not be seen speaking to this guy because the Jewish council didn't approve of Jesus. So he had to sneak in at night. He had to sneak in at night because otherwise we would have lost his status once again. The way culture is. And then he says to him, "Um, that that God, there's evidence in what you do that God is with you. What does Jesus say? He responds to him by saying, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom. Unless you are born again, have given up everything that you hold dear to, unless you have ceased to exist and ceased to give it power in your life, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. I was so hoping to misspell some of the things in this verse. I was hoping to miswrite it because your culture of perfectionism would have written me off from listening to what I say because you come from a culture of it must be perfect. Isn't that so? Yet we profess a, a gracious God. Hallelujah. A, a, a patient God. I was hoping, but I couldn't, for the sake of myself, I couldn't do it. But I said, Lord, wouldn't it be nice that I scribbled it? That you could see, but not see. So that you can go home and say, next time they must give us preachers who can preach well and write things like that and so forth. Because why? Because your culture dictates how everything else should go. It must go according to how you perceive it and how you were raised and not how I was raised. Because your culture matters more than mine. And if you go culture to culture, we will never be united. There will never be unity if you go culture to culture. Never. That's why we needed to be born again. The foundation of salvation is death to self and alive to Christ. Because we cannot build a kingdom on an old world foundation. We can't. We can build a kingdom on your foundation that believes what you believe, that's been indoctrinated by your culture, to listen to my tenses and the verbs and how I use it. It's your culture that can hear the Spirit of God speaking through me because your culture respects and reveres the English language so much because it's holy to you. To me, it's a means of communication because I have another language that's holy to me that I cannot use here. I've told Yapi so many times that it would be easy for me to go and preach in Timberleto. I said to me it would be so easy for me to leave City Church, be a pastor in Timberleto instead of church, but God will not let me go. Why? Because God says you've given the right. You said me, not you living. You gave yourself to me. Therefore, you can't choose where you feel comfortable. You have to be where I place you because these people are your culture too. They are your culture as well. And I struggle with this. It's a struggle for me because you are my culture, but don't look like me. And that's, I suppose, how the kingdom is like. But the fact is, I need to be born again, die to self. Next verse, please. Nicodemus couldn't understand this, Brian. He couldn't get this because how can an old man live his old ways? It's not about being born necessarily in the flesh how do I live my old way? How do I, let it, how do I leave it behind everything I've accumulated? Every, the wealth of my knowledge, the wealth of what I've possessed, how do I give it up? And Jesus goes back to it, verse 6. He says, human can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again so that you can give, you can surrender your rights to everything you own. Pastor David has been talking to us about the culture in the book of Acts. The culture of the new church. We can't get to that culture because the culture of the new church is where people, they have surrendered their, their Judaism rights or whatever they were. They've come together in the one banner which is their are Christians. They've come together under Christ. And so what they owned, they didn't own no more. What was precious yesterday, it's not precious today because Christ is more precious than the possessions they had. Yeah. So they could give it away. It's interesting in in, in a, uh, Wayne's testimony. It was in a church, but one person out of a church of people gave. What happened to the rest? They were not interested in Africa. It says no, we have more people worried about Africa. Not bother with that African people. Let them let them do their African thing. A whole church, one person responds. Why? Because the culture. Christianity has become a matter of I want to or don't want to. Christianity has become a matter of I feel like it or don't feel like it. Why? Because we've, we've removed the power of the Holy Spirit that operates when we've surrendered everything. Everything. No longer I who lives. No longer have what I have. But I've surrendered every right. I, cl- I conclude with this. Yes, my last one. This is your scripture. It's in every nation's book, one to one. This is the one that we talk about when disciple people. We go to this one. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has what? Has become a new person. New person. The old life is? With all its selfishness. With all its me and mine, no one can touch it. With all its my possessions and I'm proud of it and I share with nobody. It's gone. And a new life has begun. A life of living in the Spirit. That is dictated by Galatians is it 5.22. When we look at the fruits of the Spirit. When we look at your life, there should be fruits of the Spirit produced by the fact that you live in the Spirit. It's not a one five-year goal. When I'm that age, I'll have all the fruits. It's immediately because you are planted in the Spirit. You are born of Spirit. Therefore, you should produce the fruit of the Spirit. You can't produce them when you're still immersed in your culture. You can't. So, you must be born again. You must die to self and live in Christ. So, when I conclude, the truth is, we should be the living dead. You know, um, selfie, selfie. Uh, no, 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 selfie. Was it Tertius? No, oh, great one. That name. Oh Lord. <laughs> yes, bless that name, Jesus. Bless Jesus. That that name. The guy. Ter- ter- yes. Yes. yes, praise the Lord. He was here. He talked. Of course. So there are some. Uh, never mind. There are some things I cannot say. It's true. He 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 told a story that really got me about when a professor took his theological students to a morgue and pulled out a dead body and said insult him and then he says praise him and then the dead guy could not respond, nothing. And then he says, This is how we should live. I looked at it and said, That's brilliant, but I have a problem. I am the living dead. There's a difference. There's a difference. I am dead but alive. Therefore, which means I have to defend my salvation every day. Not from only people, but to my old self as well. Because I'm still alive and my old self is still within me. I have to protect and defend my new identity. And I have to have this fight for the tension constantly happening in me. Because if you insult me, I will be offended. It might take me three days to recover from that insult. But it will take me whatever it takes me. When I recover, I will repent and I will let it go. Because I am the living dead. And I have to fight every day not to give in to my culture and fight every day to live with Christ. It's a struggle and a tension that's with me me until I see the Lord. But at least I am aware of it. Are you? Are you aware of that tension? Are you aware of that fight that you must engage yourself every day and check your motives every day? So I pray. Let's close as I conclude. Father, you did not call us to be us and to be with you. You've called us to live in you and to surrender ourselves to you. And we always, we sing the songs that says, more of you, less of me. I give you everything. But sometimes we don't understand what we are singing and what we are saying. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to please, please, Holy Spirit, help us be aware of where we come from so that we don't allow where we come from to interfere with where we are and where we are going. Give us an ability to discern, to withhold, to lay back and to hold down, press down the things of our past and of our culture that are not necessarily included in your kingdom culture. So we can live a life that that when people look at us, they will see nothing but Christ. And that they will profess and say, sure, I met a true Christian today. Because it's who we are, it's how we live. Father, I pray that you will bind, bind those thoughts. Bind those teachings that are contrary, that that goes against what you teach. It doesn't matter if the teachings come from our beloved parents or mothers or whoever they are. But if they go against your teachings, Father. Give us the ability, the will, the fighting power to hold those thoughts also down. And to surrender them those ideas we were taught as children, to lay them down at the cross and to accept this new life in Christ. That we will fight and not be afraid to be zombie-like, if we have to be, amongst the people that have known us before, but they must see there's a change because we are a new creation now. We don't live no more, but Christ lives in us. Let every day... Every time people see him in our lives and allow us to every day fight and hold back those things that we identify with our culture so that we can live a new kingdom culture. Bless us, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.